you have a Bible there on the table and you want to turn with me, I'm going to be looking this afternoon in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I get to work with young adults here at First Pres, and I, uh, as college students and recent college graduates, on up through young couples with with kids similar ages as, as my own, uh, four, five, six years old, and it's um, it's been a great three and almost three and a half years of us of us being back in Macon, but we've also learned a lot on a lot of different fronts. And one of the things we've learned a lot is um, just looking at where today's young adult is, uh, American young adult, and, and what things young adults struggle with. And I still put myself in that category, uh, so I'm talking about myself when I say good or bad, maybe, with young adults in, in our generation. Um, and we had a retreat last spring where we joined with another Presbyterian church, Broadwood Presbyterian in, in uh, Birmingham. We did a retreat down at the beach, and me and, and their young adult pastor got to, to speak, and we spoke on a number of passages out of Second Corinthians, and one of them was this passage in Second Corinthians 4 we'll get to look at, uh, verses 6 through 18, and it really struck me that not a lot has changed in all the years that have passed from the time this letter was written and where I find the state of young adult ministry is today. The things that they were struggling with, uh, it, it, that Paul was writing to in this letter, are similar things that, that young adults, and I would venture to say probably all of us to some degree or another, struggle with. So there's a lot here that really is, is real practical as far as application to, to our lives today. Let me read it for us and then we'll, we'll dive in. Second Corinthians chapter 4, I'll start in, uh, in verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I uh, have maybe have told this to a, a number of, of different groups in the last little while, but I am a, I'm 33 years old. I turned 33 last July. 
and I have been a, a blessed man in my 33 years of life. I have um, at one time specifically inherited a large sum of money from my family to where money is, will never be a problem for my family and I. I have had dinner with a former president of the U.S. and been able to, uh, to give some input from a young adult's perspective on how things are run in the country. I have played guitar on stage with one of the most famous bands in history that if I said their name, you, you would know them. Um, and I have I've scored the winning touchdown in a national championship football game. I don't know why you're laughing. Uh, each one of these, these occasions ended the same way with me waking up from a great dream that I had. Um, I heard Randy Pope uh, from Perimeter Press do that one time, and it really fits this occasion in the sense that he says, and I agree with him, dreams are, are not bad in and of themselves. It's fun to imagine myself as a great receiver catching a f- touchdown pass. I've done that many, many times, daydreaming and, and, and when I'm asleep. Um, but, but the problem comes with dreams when, when we can't separate them from reality, Right? When the dream itself becomes uh, something that distracts us and takes us away from, from what's right in front of us, the reality that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And it causes us to live disconnected from life as it comes to us, as it really is. Well, that's where the Corinthians were. Uh, Corinth, when this letter was written, had been a city that had been burned to the ground and then resurrected. A new city had been built, and it was only about 100 years old. And this new city that was built was a place of, uh, of great possibility. And it drew people that were disenfranchised with wherever they were from to move to this city and find themselves, right? Uh, you know, we can make, you can make a new start. You can become whoever you wanted to be. And, and so the city provided every opportunity that, that you could have imagined for anybody that moved there. But the problem was these people were living in a dream world. They were following after things that just didn't fit with reality. And so even as people came to know the Lord and came into the church, the Apostle Paul was trying to say, hey, this is, this is what you, know, you, you think reality is, but let me tell you how God's created things and what, the way things really are um, based on the way the Creator has designed things. Um, Jesus does something very similar when you read the Gospels. He says it this way. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And that's what the scripture does to us, doesn't it? It says, listen, I know you think things are this way, but let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the way things really are. And there's four things, at least, from this passage, and we may or may not get, get to all of them, but we'll, we'll do our best, of, of four things that, that the Apostle Paul is trying to give us a wake-up call of reality and tell us the way things really are. The first is this. The first is there's a huge call in this passage to humility. A huge call to humility. He says in, in 4.7, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This uh, treasure in jars of clay. This term jars of clay was a reference to what was, would have been in, in that day a common clay pot. A common uh, uh, just little everyday earthenware vessel, earthenware jar. Um, and it was something they used a lot for a lot of day-to-day purposes, but it was so cheap that if it broke it, it wasn't worth trying to repair. You just discard it and go get an, another little one and, and use it over and over. It was in itself just dirt, you know, just mud that had been formed and shaped. It had little in and of itself, little power 
and little value. Um, you know, I, uh, I think the first time I realized that I was a clay pot was when I was probably a preteen, and we would always go over to my grandmother's house and eat Sunday lunch, and I, uh, I, she had had these little watermelon balls that she'd scooped out, and I grabbed one and popped them in my mouth, uh, but somehow didn't chew and just sucked it down, you know, and it kind of got stuck right here. And so I, I'd get up from the table and run outside, and my mom, being an elementary school teacher, uh, notices something's wrong. She applies the Heimlich and, and dislodges it, and I'm okay. But I remember for the first time being confronted with, man, it could have been, it could have been over. <laughs> you know, just as simple as popping a watermelon ball in your mouth, uh, I could have been done with my life up to this point. And the kind of the weight of mortality kind of set in as a child for the first time. Uh, and then... I think on a deeper level, uh, on a spiritual level maybe, I think that's what seminary did for me. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, you know, people in, in the young adult ministry that are, are considering a call to ministry or going, going to seminary, I tell them, listen, you'll learn a lot about the Bible. You'll learn a lot of theology. I said, but the biggest thing seminary did for me was gave me a big old dose of humility. Because you know what happens is, is guys like me who are young punks that grow up thinking we've got, man, here I am to save the world. I've got so much to offer all these people. If they'll just recognize all these great gifts that, you know, that I've gotten, here we go. And then you get to seminary and it's full of people like that. Full of people from their, their towns that were, were something or whatever, you know, had these great gifts and were, that were validated by the church and sent them off to, to go learn so they could do ministry and conquer the world for Jesus. And you realize, hey, here's a guy sitting over here that's 30 years old, and he's written a book. Actually, I read that book and use it for, you know, my young adults. Who am I? <laughs> All of a sudden, these, this confidence in your own abilities and gifts, you realize, man, I'm nothing compared to the biggest scheme of things. It's just by God's grace, if he uses me at all, uh, to accomplish anything. Um, we're, we're clay pots. There's a dose of humility there that we're called to realize um, we, I think in our day and time, we look at ourselves and, and our society, and it's not hard. We have to go far to say, okay, yeah, we're sinners, and so, you know, we're nothing in and of ourselves. But when, when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, and he wrote that you were, that Adam was formed from the dirt, and that he was no more than um, mud in and of himself until the life of God was breathed into him, he was talking about a sinless person. He was talking about a person just at his most core uh, foundation. And he's basically telling that generation what Paul is telling this generation in the letter that, that we're reading. is that, listen, in and of yourselves, you have little to offer. Apart from God, you're a clay pot. And here's where the service is today, okay? Here's the dream that, that, that especially young adults, but maybe you can apply it to some areas of your life as well, that we need to wake up from is I was told growing up, and from good-natured, great parents who I love and appreciate so much, I was told, listen, you can be anything you want to be. You can be anything you want to be. If you set your mind to it, you can be anything you want to be. The only problem with that is I, I couldn't be anything I wanted to be. I wanted to be, and this may sound kind of dorky or whatever, but I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, I wanted to go to Air Force Academy. I wanted to uh, get my pilots, you know, be a pilot for, for Air Force Academy and work my way up until I could be an astronaut. Um, I went to space camp, you know, when I was 13, all these kind of things. Only problem is I have horrible eyesight. 
I have asthma and allergies. Um, you know, I'm skinny as a rail. All these kind of things that were, I was just never going to make it in, in, in that, you know, uh, line. You know, we, we see the same thing with kids who, uh, you know, think they're going to be in the NFL or, or, or Major League Baseball or whatever else. And you, you look at them and you can see pretty obvious, uh, not in the cards for you there, buddy. Um, and then even if, you, even if you do have gifting, even if you're as faithful as you can be, that doesn't guarantee success in our world. And those of us that have lived any time know that. You can be faithful and still it doesn't necessarily equal success. Richard Pratt says it this way. It's so easy to think that we are grand. It's so easy to believe we're above others. But that myth will be shattered on the day that we die. Do you think the world will notice when you pass away? Think again. A few people will attend your memorial service and loved ones will miss you. But the church will do just fine without you, and society will continue unhindered. We may believe that we have the grandeur of gods, but one day that delusion will end for good. Those are tough words to hear. Let me ask you, how do you struggle with your own self-importance? At work? Are you not getting your due? At home? Do they just not realize all the, the, the God's gift that you are to them? Um, at church, man, if they would just recognize my gifts and put me up there, we could really go somewhere. Let me tell you, the Bible says, cast that aside. That simply does not accord with, with who you are. You're a jar of clay in and of yourself. That's a call to humility. Now, thankfully, so we won't be too depressed. It doesn't end there. The second thing that, that he calls us to is a huge call to dignity. A huge call to dignity. Did you catch it in, in, in chapter 4, verse 6? For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He says, you're a clay pot, but what do you carry in you? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This huge, huge, immeasurable treasure he says, listen, at the beginning of creation, there was nothing but darkness and chaos. And the powerful uh, creating God spoke and said, let there be light. And out of that, that darkness and chaos, there became order and light. He said, that same God, that same creator God has now spoken into your heart. And has taken you from, from someone who by yourself, in and of yourself, is just a jar of clay. And has, has placed himself inside of you. You've got the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You carry that around in you. Paul's conversion experience. Remember what happened? He's uh, doing something for God. Look at me, how great I am. I'm going to go snuff out these, these pesky Christians who are, 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 are you know, blaspheming your name and, and acting like this Jesus is somebody. And then he's quite literally knocked off of his horse or camel or whatever he's riding on the, on the way to Damascus. And he's face to face with the risen Lord, Jesus. And he's like, oh my goodness. Here I was, I thought I was a friend of God. I find out I've been an enemy. And yet Jesus uh, says, I've got a special purpose for you, Paul. And he comes and he, he, he teaches Paul. He molds him and then he uses him in this great way. But it's always in such a way that Paul, um, over and over in his letters, says, listen, this is God's strength made perfect in my weakness. This is God doing this, not me. I was an enemy. I was a blasphemer. This is who I am. But look what Jesus has done in me and with me. I uh, 
for better or for worse, um, maybe shouldn't admit this, but watch American Idol. Um, I'm a music lover, and so those kind of shows intrigue me. Um, last year, uh, the the winner of American Idol was on stage, and he was up there singing in the finale with a big choir behind him, and he's got these stars on stage, you know, to his right and his left, and he's right there next to the runner-up, Crystal Bowersox, who was a great vocalist, you know, and, and he's just he's just sitting there the whole time, just shaking his head, just like man, and you can almost. Hear him, hear him thinking, what am I doing up here? <laughs> Who am I? I'm from this guy from this small town, and, and this is going to be my life now? I'm the winner of this great competition, and, and I'm up here with these stars, and I've got this choir. I mean, and um, what had happened was the judges and the American public had validated and said, no, this is where you belong. You, you're gifted. You've got this thing inside of you, this gift, that, that this is where you belong. And brothers and sisters, that's what Paul is saying. Yes, in and of yourself, you're a jar of clay. But when Jesus comes to dwell inside of you, the light of the glory of God made known to you in the face of Jesus Christ, there is power there in the gospel. And there's huge dignity that comes with that. Many Christians have little sense of the honor that they bear as God's images, much less... The, the, the huge privilege and responsibility that it is to be vessels to bring the light of the glory of God to, the, to a dark world. We look in a mirror every day and we see someone who disappoints us. And because we disappoint ourselves, we learn to hate our failures and end up sometimes hating ourselves. Um, we want to be humble, but we end up losing all sense of importance or significance. And the scriptures come and say, listen, you're right in being humble. You're right in seeing in of yourself that there's, there's, there's nothing to commend yourself. But don't stop there. You're created in the image of God. And if you're a believer, He has given you His Spirit. He dwells inside of you. And you are a carrier of the glory of God to, to the nations. There's huge significance there. You, in God's eyes, are as important as any king who's ever walked this earth. You are from the royal lineage of Adam. And yes, sin has marred that image. But as a Christian, the treasure of the light of the glory of God dwells within you. So let me ask you this. How do you deny that honor, that significance that belongs to you as an image of God? In what ways do you, this may be even harder, in what ways do you treat others uh, with less dignity than they deserve as images of God or carriers of His glory? Brothers and sisters, take up your, your dignity this morning, this afternoon. Act in accord with who you are. Huge call to humility, but huge call to dignity. And a neat thing happens when you put those two together. When you put a clay pot carrying this unbelievably great treasure, you put those things two together, what happens when you're broken as a clay pot? Well, the light of that glory of God shines even brighter. And that's what Paul means when he says, God's power is made perfect, even in my weakness. That he is made more glorious. So even our weaknesses become occasions to say, yep, I'm a mess. Look who this God is who has saved me and is using me despite my mess. The third thing, um, with the time we have left, is the call to sacrifice. There's a huge call to sacrifice here. Paul says we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We're perplexed but not driven to despair. We are, are persecuted but not forsaken. 
We're struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. He says he's hard-pressed, referring to the pressures that come upon him from being a Christian. He's perplexed, which is this idea of being cornered. Um, he is, uh, he's persecuted or hounded, doubtless because of his ministry. And finally, he confesses to being struck down, which in our language probably means, I'm depressed. Um, I'm, I'm worn out here. But in every one of these seemingly hopeless situations, Paul prays and he finds that, that God's power transforms those situations and gives him this new perspective um, that, yes, God's doing this in me, but it's, it's for his purposes and glory. Um, and he says an interesting phrase. He says, we're carrying around the death of Jesus. Literally in, 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 the, in the language there is, we carry around the dying of Jesus in our bodies. Um, it, you know, we have a fear of death, but really what we fear is not really death itself. Death takes place in an instant, right? What we really fear is dying. All those moments or days or years sometimes leading up to that moment of death is what we really fear. Because that's the suffering. That's the hard part. That's the sacrifice that's involved. And he says that's what we as believers are, are called to carry around in our body. Some sort of a, a sacrifice. Some sort of a suffering um, that, that goes on here. Many times we talk about suffering, and, and, and there are various ways and reasons we suffer. Sometimes we suffer because we just uh, we live in a fallen world. And, and not necessarily because of our disobedience, but things like cancer happen. You know, things are not right. They're not the way they should be. Uh, sometimes we suffer because of our sin. We've done something disobedient and stupid, and, and we, we, we fall into consequences because of it. But then there are other times, and I think this is what Paul is talking about here, that we suffer, we sacrifice because of our determination to follow Jesus. It's something that we are, have, have signed up for, sometimes unknowingly, as, as a follower of a Christ, that we, we stand with the one whom the darkness hates. We adopt a life of self-denial, of sacrificial service, to where Jesus says, listen, when you follow me, you, you're, you're following the call to deny yourself to take up the cross and follow me. That's a life of sacrifice. Um, all soldiers, in, in my book, deserve our respect. They face threatening circumstances and many times sacrifice their lives for others. But it is, it's especially striking when soldiers sign up and volunteer to go to war. Um, because, let's be honest, most of us, it's hard for us to volunteer to take out the trash much less to go do something that's, that's going to put our life on the line for the sake of somebody else. But that's what, that's what we've signed up for as followers of Christ. Sometimes literally and physically we'll have to give our lives, but most often, especially in our country, it's going to be the day-to-day -day, uh, lifestyle of sacrifice, of saying, you know what, I really want this, but I'm going to deny it so that the gospel can go forward in this way and in this situation. Um, one person said, we're, we're often, we're draftees of suffering, not volunteers. We go kicking and screaming instead of signing up for it. We mistakenly demand from God in this life what has only been promised for the next. 
But God has called us to, to truly look for ways to share in Christ's suffering, to sacrifice, to deny ourselves in such a way that the gospel can go forward. Now, here's the, here's the dream that that conflicts with. And um, many, many, many young adults have this dream. The world tells us that the world is our playground, that we have this, this right to demand from life what we want to demand from it. And so we go out in life expecting the right job just to fall in our lap, uh, th- that I can just travel the world and pick up and I'll figure out the debt thing later. All of these things that I find young adults falling into and really getting themselves in a mess comes from this idea of, and, uh, you know, that we've, we've been fed of, listen, the world's your playground. You've got plenty of time to settle down and get responsible. Just, just go enjoy things. And the Bible comes and says, not if you're a follower of Christ. You've, you have said that you're giving up things. You're calling to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus. And that is, a, that is a lifestyle. That is a call of a lifestyle of denying yourself for the sake of Jesus. How does that look? Well, it, every person ultimately must decide for the Lord what that looks like for you individually. But here's some, some examples. We can, we can all give generously, sacrificially. Instead of keeping every spare penny, penny for ourselves, we can... We can donate time to evangelism and service instead of, instead of our own projects. You know, one of the best things that, that happened to me in, in, my, in the dating process of me and Annette, my wife, when we were dating, we, we went to, on a double date with a, another couple from Valdosta, and the other guy planned the date. And the date was, we're going to go eat somewhere, and then we're going to go visit a nursing home. And we're just going to hang out with people in the nursing home and get to know them. And we, we had hilarious stories from that night. People sharing way too much information with, with us, the people they didn't even know. And just loving on those people and seeing each other interact in that, that situation was a great date. A great way to get to know one another in that, that, that um, situation. That is a great creative way to say, you know what, I'd like to go bowling. <laughs> but instead, I'm going to go do something um, in a service-oriented way. Something to, to give of myself. We can make career decisions that honor Jesus instead of us. We can, um, one thing that Richard Pratt hits in, in a major way is this idea of travel for young adults. You notice more and more wanting to study abroad, wanting to travel the world, these huge road trips. Um, <laughs> he makes the statement, listen, if you believe in the new heavens and the new earth, that Jesus is coming back to restore all things, to renew all things, you've got plenty of time to travel. And you've got plenty of time to travel on a new heaven and new earth when uh, things are made right. He says, he says, I'd love to go to Paris. He said, I'm going to wait and I'm going to go when it's renewed and restored so that there's no bad parts of town. Um, and, you know, he, he gets flack for that because he travels all over the place. But he says, you know where I go? I, he said, I go to red light district. I go to the hard places, the broken places, and give of myself because I've got plenty of time to visit the pretty places in eternity. Um, call to sacrifice. It's a tough call. And the way we get through some of that call to sacrifice and, and volunteering for suffering is the last call. And that's the call to hope. There's a huge, huge call to hope. I wish we had time to go into it even more. But that last few verses, 13 through 18, he talks a lot about uh, the surpassing value of what's coming. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. He's talking about this eternal uh, aspect here. 
He says, listen, we have the same spirit of faith as the writer of Psalm 116 who testified to God's deliverance from death. Um, He says we have the resurrection. And that's one thing we have to hope in, that if if Jesus truly did raise from the dead, as as the Bible teaches and we believe that he did, then his his bodily resurrection is real. Not a spiritual detached resurrection, but a real life. He rose from the dead. That's the first fruits. That's the taste of what's to come. In the same way he was really, truly, physically resurrected, one day everything that is of the Lord will be resurrected and made new and right. Um, that gives us tons of hope for what's to come. Um, he's got a passion for the glory of God uh, that, that, that he longs that, that men and women um, would increase, increasingly be converted to, to, to Christianity, not just so he can have more converts, more notches in his belt, but so that, that they'll know the love of Jesus. They'll be reconciled to their creator. Um, And then the last thing, and this is probably the biggest thing he hits on, is the reality of the age to come. He talks here and a lot more in in chapter 5 and 6 there of what's coming, what we can look forward to, and what we've been called to in that. Um, This idea of the new heavens and the new earth. um, One person said it this way, in some way, either as a reward or as a result of, of the molding character that patient endurance of suffering brings, future glory will have been affected by God through that suffering. It's almost like God is saying, listen, you're a pot that is meant to contain my glory. And if, if you volunteer for suffering, as you sacrifice your life, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use that to stretch you a little bit more so you can hold a little bit more of my glory. So that, that when, when I come back and when, or you go to be with me, whichever one happens first, um, you'll, you'll be able to understand and comprehend and, and grasp hold of and enjoy my glory even that more. Um, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, he says we'll do it here. There was a, uh, I date myself a little bit. When I was growing up, there's a Bush beer commercial. Um, four or five guys sitting around a campfire. Um, it would come on every football game. They'd be at the mountains behind them. They'd be in this field. They'd be, you know, cooking hot dogs or whatever and drinking a Bush beer. And uh, at the end of the commercial, one of the guys would look over to the other one, and he would say, doesn't get any better than this. Just doesn't get any better than this. That's the lie that we bought into. And that's why we don't live sacrificially. That's why we don't live with humility. That's why we don't live with hope, all of these things. And this passage comes along and says, no, it does get better than this. That Jesus is coming back, and he's going to restore all things. That his resurrection gives us a guarantee of the first fruits of that. And that everything's going to be made new just like he was raised and made new and given a new body. Um, and that we have so much to look forward to. The path to dignity is one of suffering, but it's also one of hope. Um, hopeful realism should characterize our hearts till Jesus comes back. What do you need to wake up from today? Um, We've given a, been given a call to great humility, to great dignity, to great sacrifice, and to great hope. Hopefully that will encourage you as you go about, about your day today. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you redirect us. God, we, we want to live in our dream world so many times that we think is better. Um, God, help us to follow uh, reality with a hopeful realism looking to our circumstances and realizing um, that we are, are nothing apart from you, 
but that with you, we've been called to this huge significance while we're here. Um, God, that you've called us to sacrifice, to give of ourselves for your kingdom and your honor and your glory. And that you promise us so much in, in, in the world to come. And pray that that truth would compel us um, to, to spread the gospel in word and deed in all the areas of our life, even today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.